For the past couple of weeks, we have been exploring different views and different understandings that we've all believed about God and that we all carry about God. And we compared those understandings to the God that Jesus knows. And, and through these past weeks, my hope is that if you have carried any false narratives about God or any destructive understandings about who God is, my hope is that you have found healing and hope through this series. For this week, though, as we uh, prepare to end this series, I want to go in a little bit of a different direction. So I want to ask you a question. Out of these two categories that I'm about to give you, without thinking about it too much, which one would you put yourself into? Which category would you put yourself into? Are you either A, a sinner who can't help but sin, or B, are you a child of God who still struggles with sin? Let me say those two again. Are you A, a sinner who can't help but sin? Or B, are you a child of God who struggles with sin? Now, your choice matters because your choice says a lot about who you believe God to be. See, the first choice says that God has forgiven us, but we're not really forgiven. I remember talking to a friend of mine who works in recovery, and he said something to me one time that really struck me. He said, people who struggle with alcoholism don't abuse alcohol on purpose. Their brain is just wired in such a way that they can't stop drinking once they start. Now, I think sometimes we see ourselves that same way, right? We're just wired to sin and we just sin, right? Because we don't know any better. But my friend went on to say that that is why recovery is so important. He says, recovery helps people understand how their brain works so that they can make better choices down the line. See, I think what he was saying is that just because people are prone to drinking more does not mean they just have to settle for a life of, of alcoholism, right? And I think the same is true for you and I when it comes to sin. Just because it, it, sinning is natural doesn't mean we have to live life as sinners. See, the second option I gave you says that God, uh, uh, while we may sin, while sin may be present in our lives, God still loves us, and, and we are in the process of learning and living a better way, right? Even though sin exists, even though sin is present, we are moving towards a place that is further and further and further away from sin every single day. Let me give you an example of this and what this all looks like. So my wife and I, my wife Susie and I adopted a dog named Zoe about five and a half years ago. And we love her and we spoil her. And if I'm honest, uh, Zoe is the princess of the house. And uh, she's actually really well-behaved. At least everybody that's taking care of her has told me that. She's really well-behaved. She listens very well. If we tell her to do something, she does it. And, and you know, she's just a, a great dog. But every, every once in a while, Zoe gets into trouble, right? She's a dog. She gets into trouble. And, and, and for some, uh, let me give you some examples. So for some random reason, she started jumping on the kitchen table. Uh, you know, like cats jump on top, on top of furniture. She started doing that, and I caught her one time. And of course, she got in trouble. Uh, out of nowhere, one day, she also started taking trash out of the trash can. I guess she was hungry or something, even though she gets fed quite a bit. Um, there's also times when we're walking, and she gets really excited when she sees a squirrel, and she tugs really hard on her leash, right? and she knows she's not supposed to, right? She does a lot of these things that, that all pets do, right? Dogs just do these kind of things, but there's stuff we don't want her to do, and so she gets in trouble. Uh, and so, so um, here's what I find interesting about Zoe and every time she gets in trouble. So 
every time she gets in trouble with Susie, with my wife, Zoe becomes very sassy. She avoids Susie. She huffs at Susie. And, and she even like tries to, uh, to annoy Susie a little bit. When she gets in trouble with me, it's completely different. Zoe hates getting in trouble with me. She starts following me around the house when I'm mad at her. She tries to snuggle with me a little bit more. And, and sometimes she rarely loses eye contact with me, hoping that I'm going to look at her and smile and say, I love you. You're not in trouble. And I've got to tell you, 10 out of 10 times when she does that, I stop being mad at her. Those puppy eyes, I'm just a sucker for them. But I'll never forget, it was a couple of years ago, I got mad at her for something. I don't even remember what it was, and which, you know, it wasn't a big deal. But I got mad at her for something. And after I pointed it out to her, what she had done, and, and I said to her, I said, bad girl. And as she started trying to snuggle with me so that I would stop being mad at her, this thought suddenly hit me. I looked at her and I said, you know what, Zoe? You're not a bad girl. You're a good girl who happened to do something bad. You're a good girl who happened to do something bad. Now, look, I know Zoe didn't understand what I said to her, but I was trying to get her to understand that doing something bad doesn't make you bad, right? I just didn't want her doing those things because she could hurt herself, right? She could fall off the, the table. She could eat something in the trash can that she's not supposed to and get sick, right? Like, Doing something bad doesn't make you bad. It just means you did something bad, right? Well, as I had this one-way conversation with Zoe, I thought to myself, I wonder if that's the God Jesus knows. A God who looks at us and says, you're not bad. You just did something bad, right? A God who looks at you and I and says, you're not a sinner. You just happen to get tripped up by sin. See, without Jesus... It's true that we are nothing more than sinners who sin. And if we truly believe that that is who we are, then we end up giving ourselves permission to sin because after all, we can't do any better, right? But, but that is not who we are. See, because of Jesus' life, death, and resurrection, our identity is no longer sinners. Our identity is children of God. We are children of God who happen to get tripped up by sin sometimes. We've been going through this book called The Good and Beautiful God by James Bryan Smith, and I want you to listen to something he says in his book. He says, as a Christ follower, you are completely reconciled to God. God is no longer dealing with you on the basis of your sin. You are forgiven, listen to this, forever. You're also a completely new creation, right? Your old nature has died, and now you have been made alive with Christ. He says this, though. I want you to really listen to this. However, even though we have become new people spiritually, we're still in our old self's body, which contains the remnants of sin. We have our old narratives, our old memories, our old habits. We still live in a world that is diametrically opposed to the truth of God. He says, this is why we struggle with sin even after we're regenerated. See, the God Jesus knows doesn't see you and I as a sinner because we have been forgiven and nothing can take that away from us. No sin, no nothing can take that away from us. Your identity is a child of God who just happens to get tripped up by sin every once in a while because as Smith calls it, uh, our old self, right? Our physical bodies, are, 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 they're, they're still prone to sin, right? 
every temptation, every sin, every bad thought will always have the ability to trip us up. Because even though we've been made new spiritually, our physical bodies and our minds are still intrigued by them. So we have to remember, we are children of God who get tripped up by sin, not sinners who can do nothing but sin. Now, this is why this is so important. In Romans chapter 6, verses 12 through 14, it says this. It says, So then, don't let sin rule your body so that you do it at once. Don't offer part of your body to sin to be used as weapons to do wrong. Instead, present yourselves to God as the people who have been brought back to life from the dead and offer all the parts of our body to God to be used as weapons to do right. Sin will have no power over you because you aren't under the law, but you're under grace. Now, I love the first line of this scripture. Don't let sin rule, out your, rule your body so that you do what it wants. Let me read that again. Don't let sin rule your body so that it do what it wants. And this is the CEB version. I love this version. See, sinners allow sin to rule their body because we've said this already, they're incapable of doing anything other than sin. But, but the, the author of Romans reminds us, children of God are the opposite. Children of God don't want sin to tell them what to do. Children of God don't let sin to rule their lives. Now, earlier in this series, I mentioned that when Jesus died on the cross and rose from the dead, Jesus defeated sin and death. And this means that because of Jesus' life, death, and resurrection, sin no longer reigns in our life. It's still there, don't get me wrong. Sin is still there. It's lurking, trying to trip us up, but it no longer reigns in our lives. See, sin no longer gets to tell you and I what to do. Sin does not have the power to tell us how to live. I want you to, to listen to this quote I found while I was doing some research this week. If the reign of sin has been broken in Christ, and if the Christian truly believes in Christ, then sin has no business continuing to rule in his or her life. And it is now the Christian's responsibility to make sure that this is so. See, this, this, it's this reminder, right? that sin has no power in our lives. And even though it's there, and even though it can tempt us, we have to say, no, you don't get to control me. You don't get to tell me what to do. I'm in control. See, our scripture reminds us that sin has no power over us. And therefore, you and I have to stop giving it power in our lives. We have to choose to live knowing that we are children of God who refuse to make room for sin, who don't allow temptation to make choices for us, who wake up and decide every single day to no longer allow sin to reign in our lives. We, as children of God, have to make that choice every single day. Now, let me paint you a picture of what this looks like. Do you know the difference between a city dog and a country dog? City dogs live cooped up in an apartment or a house and are forbidden to just leave the house, right, unless their master goes with them. If you live in a big city or you have lived in a big city, you know that there's way too many cars, way too many pedestrians, and way too many people on bikes to allow your dog, your pet, to roam freely in a city, in a big city, right? So what ends up happening is that most times, not always, but most times, city dogs get excited to run out the front door the moment they get a chance because they want to explore what's beyond their home. 
Country dogs are different, though. Listen to what James Bryan Smith says in this, in this book. He says, country dogs live in wide open spaces with a great deal of freedom to roam. They can go down to the creek, wrestle with a skunk in sunny pasture, uh, or, or take a sleep in a sunny pasture or forage for food. And at first, he says, they, they do. But after a while, the country dog stays in the same old place day after day on the master's porch. He says the country dog has been to Paris, as they say. He's gotten into a few scrapes and has seen the open range for what it is. But now the country dog is content to stay near the master. After all, Smith says, he may get a biscuit or a pat on the head or even a belly rub. If you keep reading on in this book, he goes on to say that those who understand their identity in Christ are like country dogs. They know that they can sin. They've even sinned before, but they know better now. They don't want to live that way. They don't want to do those things. Instead, they are content living close to the master. They have the freedom to do whatever they want, but they choose to stay close to their master. And, and as Christians, we have the freedom to do whatever we want, but instead we choose to live close to God and say, I don't need sin in my life. I don't want sin in my life. I don't want to allow sin to control me. See, I am fully convinced that we tend to live our lives in a way that we deem worthy of our identity, which means that if we see ourselves as sinners and that's it, then, then we're going to find ourselves sinning because that's who we are, right? But if we see ourselves as children of God, the same way that the God Jesus knows sees us, then we begin to live a life worthy of that identity. We begin to say no to sin. We begin to push sin away. Friends, sin does remain in this world. It's all over the place. And we are prone to sin. We see it happen over and over and over again. And we also know that God will still love us even if we sin. But like the country dog who chooses to stay close to his master, May we too choose to stay close to God rather than allow sin to reign because we know that sin is beneath our dignity. We are too good for sin. We are too good for temptation. And while we can have it and we can go after it, we're going to choose God over sin. Let us pray. Gracious and loving God, I give you thanks. God, I give you thanks because your love is so big, we can't even begin to imagine it. God, I pray that as we've journeyed through this series, that we may uh, have come to know the God that Jesus knows, that we may have come to know you the same way Jesus knows you, loving and forgiving and self-sacrificing and trustworthy but above all of that, God, may we know our identity. May we know that we are your children. May we embrace that identity, and may we live a life worthy of that identity. God, I give you thanks. And I pray this in your most precious and most glorious name. Amen. 
Well, hey, I want to thank you for joining us. I hope you've enjoyed this sermon series. If, if you missed a couple of them, go back and listen to them. There's a whole bunch of different ways that you can do that. And I want to invite you, if you want to go a little bit deeper on your own, just text the word GROW, G-R-O-W, to the number 225-307-0662. And uh, just text that. You'll get a, a text message back with a link to a home sheet. And it'll be a sheet that includes the scripture we read today, uh, some questions, some ways to live this out. I really hope you'll take a moment to, uh, uh, to do that. I also want to tell you, if you want to go deeper with people, with other people, uh, I, join one of our small groups, uh, show up to your small group this week, just be a part of a small group. And if you're interested in joining one, email us at info at midcity.church. We'll get you connected to a small group, and uh, we know you'll be able to go deeper into conversations and have some uh, make some friendships along the way as well. Well, I, I am so excited that um, uh, you joined us today, and I, I want to give you just one quick, quick, quick um, update. Next week, we are starting a sermon series called Hurry, with a big dash across the word hurry. And uh, I don't know about you, but uh, I have met a lot of people, and I'll put myself in that category, who have felt a little close to burnout. Uh, if you have felt that way, I hope you'll join us for the next five weeks as we journey through this series called Hurry and how we can eliminate hurry in our lives and, and, and find ourselves more at peace and not so stressed out. So it'll be a fun series. I'm so excited for that. Um, so thank you for joining us. I look forward to seeing you next week. And remember, I love you, God loves you, and there's nothing you can do about it.